0: The apostles were all men, the chief missionary activity was done by men, the writing of the New Testament was the work of men, and leadership in the churches was entrusted to men. Although the apostle Paul respected women and worked side by side with them for the furtherance of the gospel, he appointed no female elders or pastors. In his letters he urged that men were to be the leaders in the church and that women were not to teach or exercise authority over men, 1 Timothy 2.12. Therefore, although women are spiritual equals with men and the ministry of women is essential to the body of Christ, women are excluded from leadership over men in the church. Men and women stand as equals before God, both bearing the image of God Himself, However, without making one inferior to the other, God calls upon both men and women to fulfill the roles and responsibilities specifically designed for them. A pattern that can be seen even in the Godhead in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Jesus came to do the will of the Father in obedience to the Father. And Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to magnify himself. In fulfilling The divinely given roles taught in the New Testament, women are able to realize their full potential because they are following the plan of their own creator and designer. Only in obedience to Him and His design will women be truly able in the fullest sense to give glory to God. And of course, that is equally true for men. As men today often abrogate their role just like Adam did in the garden and give up biblical manhood, they are not giving the full glory to God that He designed them for. And we see radical examples today. Radical. Men deciding not just to give up their role, but deciding to give up their gender and pretending to be women and even mutilating their bodies to that end. Women not just giving up their role in God's design, but deciding to mutilate their bodies, either surgically and or through drugs, and to pretend to be men. A radical rebellion against God, our creator. And claiming all the while, this is just who they are. It's not who they are at all. God creates a man. God creates a woman. God has ordained each precious life. And genetically speaking, they're either XX or XY. As we see all the way back in the first chapter of Genesis. Male and female, he created them. The church has been comfortable for some decades with a little rebellion against Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Male and female, he created them. But now that rebellion's gotten out of hand. Let us not be comfortable with any rebellion. But by the grace of God, embrace all that God has for us as men and as women in Christ Jesus and to be unashamed, utterly unashamed of the word of God. There are those who would attack the word of God, assault the word of God, and to say that God's word and Christianity oppress women, that God's word makes men misogynist. Now, there may be men who abuse and misuse God's word and indeed are misogynists, but Embracing God's design for male and female, as revealed in the Word of God, does not make a man a misogynist or a woman oppressed. Actually rejecting the Word of God makes men misogynists and makes women oppressed. And the history of the world proves that out. And only the blindness of mankind to the clear reality of history and the clear reality of our present culture would lead us to deny that. Bible-less cultures, Christless cultures are not cultures that free women. They're cultures that enslave women. And as our culture is now suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, rejecting the God of creation, rejecting the God of the Bible, rejecting His law, rejecting His design, we don't find women free. We find women enslaved to men's sexual desires. We don't find women free. We find them enslaved to their own sin. Here in our own state, they're looking to legalize prostitution. Is that going to benefit women? Really? No, not at all. Women will suffer. Girls will suffer. Boys will suffer. It will only further unleash perversion. And it will not all be voluntary. It will unleash horrors upon women. Don't shy away from God's wisdom, God's word, God's design as the world assaults it and says, that's backwards, that's archaic, that's misogynist, that's hateful and sexist. No, it's truth. It's freeing. It's protecting It's a blessing. It's God-glorifying. And by the grace of God, we need to embrace it as such. Everywhere the Bible goes and is rightly preached and taught and received, women flourish, women prosper, women are set free. Because the Bible, unlike any other Document that cultures look to as a document of truth or a document document for spiritual guidance. The The Bible is the actual word of God. The Bible is the actual instruction book for life. Our creator, our designer wrote it. And so when we live according to it, we find freedom and we find blessing individually and as a whole. Now, if you want to live as a man, If you're a woman, if you want to mutilate your body and throw off God's design, then yeah, the Bible is going to be restrictive. But what you find is those people go to those great extremes, either direction. They're not at peace. They're not happy. They're not flourishing. They're miserable. And so many of them, given time, oh, wish, oh, wish they could go back. They wish they could reverse what they have done. So let us go back to the Word of God and elevate womanhood directly from the Scriptures and rejoice in God's good and amazing design. But one final word before we get to the Scriptures. This Word came into a world where women were universally oppressed. This Word came into a world where women did not have basic human rights. They did not have the God-given unalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What created that for male and female? The Word of God, the biblical worldview. That's what created that. This Word came to a world where women were basically possessions. Whether it's the Greek society, the Roman society, or the savage societies of this earth, women were basically universally possessions. Without power. And at the mercy of unholy men. And the further our culture goes now, we are descending into savagery, not civilization. We're throwing off civilization. We're descending into savagery and women again are at the mercy of evil men. You don't even have a right to your own shower anymore. You don't have a right to your own sports team, your own sauna, your own bathroom. That's what an evil man in the White House has done to women. The greatest misogynist act in the history of America is called the Equality Act. Women can't live without them. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Women can't live without them. Eve is the mother of all living, physically. All men and women that live, live because Eve, Grandma Eve, And every daughter of Eve since has given birth to them. But Mary, consider Mary. Without Mary, we would not have life and life abundant in Jesus Christ. And we are not Roman Catholic. We are not elevating Mary. Mary is no co-redemptrix or co-mediator. Mary herself is no savior. No one should be praying to Mary. That's blasphemy. But yet, let us elevate motherhood and celebrate the gift of God to humanity through the womb of of the Virgin Mary. Without the womb of Eve, none of us would be here. Without the womb of the Virgin Mary, none of us would be in heaven. Women can't live without them, amen, amen. Elevate womanhood biblically, none of us would be alive without them. What a blessing, what a gift, they're life givers, life sustainers. How many of us men would be alive today? Without that woman we called mother, that woman you now call wife, and probably that sister too, if you had one. Women so often are saying, no, no, wait, wait, stop, think, think. Don't do that. Buckle up, put on the helmet. All that. Oh, praise God for Mary. Praise God for woman. Praise God for this young woman. And consider... While she was highly favored and the Lord was with her and she was blessed amongst women. I mean, universally, she gave birth to Jesus. Jesus, who would be her Savior. Jesus, who would be the Savior of all men. Indeed, she was blessed. But great hardships came with it as well. Great sorrows. The Lord blessed Mary and blessed all of humanity through Mary. And the fruit of her womb. Jesus went out of his way to evangelize. A Samaritan woman with six live-in lovers in John chapter 4. Why? Because he loved the Samaritan woman. John chapter 4. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, But he needed to go through Samaria. Now the King James Version says, I must needs go through Samaria. I kind of like how that reads. I must needs. He needed to go through Samaria. Why? Because he had a God-ordained sovereign appointment with a Samaritan woman. Now you've already heard historically that even the the Jewish women were not to be taught the word of God, the law of God, better to burn it than teach them. You wouldn't even want to receive change from them lest they touch your hand. I mean, my goodness. And that was, again, extra-biblical thought, sinful cultural thought that did not come from the Word of God, but that was what was prevalent in Israel. But Samaritans and Samaritan women, now that's a whole other level. She's both a woman and she's a Samaritan. And Samaritans were considered like dogs, half-breeds, half-Jew, half-Gentile. And the Lord Jesus deliberately goes to Samaria to meet this dear Samaritan woman. Verse 5, So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew... Ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. She's shocked. This is unheard of. The Lord Jesus runs rough shod over the misogyny of his culture and over the racism. He runs rough shod right over it. Blows right through it. He loves women and he loves all so-called races. All tribes, tongues, and nations will be brought unto Jesus, brought unto the blood of the Lamb. He blows through all of these cultural restrictions that man's sin sets up because he's no mere man and he's no sinner. She's shocked. Why do you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Now most of us right there would have said, All right, pray this prayer. But that's not what Jesus does, nor is that what we should do. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband in that you spoke truly. Is he being hateful? Is he being judgmental? He is the judge and he's perfect love. And he's making a right judgment. The husband she has now is not a husband. It's a live-in lover. Nor were the five that preceded him husbands. They were all live-in lovers. He exposed her sin. Why? Because he's hateful? Because he would have her repent and believe the gospel, Mark 1.15, Jesus' first message. Repent. She must repent if she'll be saved. Therefore, he exposes her sin, that she might feel the weight of her sin, that she might see her need for the Savior, the living water. Not just more religion. Not just another religious guru. Not just more religious mumbo-jumbo. But actual repentance of sin, the confession of Jesus Christ as Lord unto salvation. And he went to Samaria deliberately. He went... To this place Jews did not want to go. He went there to meet the Samaritan woman with 6 living lovers in order to expose the sin, in order to call her to repentance, in order to call her to faith in himself that she might be saved. She asks about worshiping on this mountain or that mountain, this place or that place. In other words, should we go about the Samaritan religion or the Jewish religion works righteousness system? And he says, neither, neither. God is spirit, verse 24, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Verse 25, the woman said, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. She's, she's starting to get the idea. Are you the Messiah? You're telling me things that you should not know. Verse 27, at this point, his disciples came, or excuse me, verse 26. Can't skip the glory. Hear the glory of verse 26. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I challenge you. Search the gospels and find a place where Jesus is more explicitly declaring the truth of who he is. He loves this precious Samaritan sinner woman. He loves her. He deliberately went to find her. He deliberately engages her in this conversation about water from the well. He deliberately exposes her sin out of love for her soul, that she might repent and come to him as the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior. And he declares clearly to her, where he so often is deliberately unclear, speaking in parables, he is Explicitly clear for her. I who speak to you am he. And at this point his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. What's this? They marveled. That tells you about the culture. But Jesus isn't about man's sinful cultures. He's about loving all men and women created in the image of God. Genesis 1.27 Equal in value. He came to die for both, to save both. They marveled that he talked with the woman, yet no one said, What do you seek or why are you talking with her? Verse 28, the woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, Come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. You want a sign of repentance? That's it. That jerk! How dare he bring that up, right? Where's his mercy? Where's his compassion? he's so judgmental. No, no, no. She's repentant. She's humble. She's not resenting that he told her all that he ever she ever did. She's thankful because it, it's leading her to repentance and to saving faith in Christ. It's leading her out of dead Samaritan works righteousness religion. And he didn't lead her out of dead Samaritan works righteousness religion to dead Judaism works righteousness religion. He led her unto Himself as the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Him, John 14, 6. So she goes and tells the men of her city, Come see, come see. Could this be the Christ? Verse 30, Then they went out of the city and came to Him. In the meantime, His disciples urged Him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But He said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. His food is to do the will of God and to seek to save the lost, even. Even wretched, lost sinners like the Samaritan woman with her six would-be husbands. Verse 33, therefore the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? What? They're just totally missing it. The scriptures are so humbling for us men, aren't they? Women too, but they're totally missing it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Women, men, sinners all and sinners of all types. In Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, the Lord Jesus did not turn away the broken, repentant prostitute of Luke chapter 7. Lord loves women and elevates women. Luke 7 verse 36, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city was a sinner, meaning Prostitute, When she knew that Jesus sat at the table of the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, because Jesus knows what's in his heart, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman, the woman that Simon was despising, the the sinner woman. He turned to the woman and said to Simon, so he turns to the woman and says to Simon, are you getting this? This is quite a moment, a moment of humbling for Simon and a moment of love for the sinner woman. He turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with, her, with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Now, this is a profound rebuke of Simon and every man like him in a glorious statement of grace and mercy and love and hope for every woman like this woman. What an expression of love of Jesus, who is God, holy, holy, holy in flesh. Meaning, God hates sin and sends sinners to hell. But He is God, holy, holy, holy in flesh, who came in flesh to save sinners, to take upon Himself. And you must know, she is forgiven because He proclaimed it. But she is forgiven because He bore her iniquities and took the wrath of God they deserve. On the cross, He suffered for her. And paid her debt in full. This is the love of the Lord Jesus for women. This is the scripture's elevation of women who are untouchable. What is she doing here? How did she get here? And we don't get the whole backstory. Apparently she was someplace Jesus was and she heard him preaching and she found out he was over there and she went there to find him and she didn't care who was there, whose house it was, what was going on. She was going to humble herself, abase herself and fall before him. I don't think she was even thinking through everything she was doing. I think she was totally unconscious of self and just lavishing love and worship upon her Lord And Savior, and what a beautiful display of amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves us, wretches. We're all wretches. We're all sinner women and sinner men. The grace of God that saves wretches like us. And again, this is running roughshod over every cultural norm of his time. To love a precious woman and redeem her from her sins. In Luke chapter 8, we don't find the Lord Jesus just saving women. We find women providing for the Lord Jesus during His earthly ministry. In Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, Now it came to pass afterward that He went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. By the way, that's a good pattern of ministry. If it was good for Jesus, it's good for me. It's good for you. In the Marine Corps, we used to run PT, physical training training, And sing Cadence. And one of them was, if it was good for Dan, Daly, These are Marine Corps heroes. It's good enough for me. And you run along. Yeah, there's a Marine back there. He knows this. Yeah, these are heroes. If it was good for them, it's good for me. Let's not reinvent the wheel. Let's take the hill. Right? Jesus' ministry is a ministry worth modeling, is it not? He traveled about city to city, bringing them the word of God. That's a ministry to model after city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him. Verse 2, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chuza, Herod's steward, a steward of Herod, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. These women were all in. Christ had healed their infirmities. Christ had rescued them from demon possession. Christ had saved their souls. They were all in. They were on board. They were doing whatever they could do to support the ministry of the Lord Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ. They didn't say, I want to preach. I want to be a pastor. Or, or I'm not in. I, I've got no part of it. You know, I, I need to have my role and I'll define that role and I'll demand that role. And if I can't have that role, I'm not in. They were all about serving the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus was the preacher. And guess what? He was training his apostles who were men to be preachers behind him. And that's God's design. And it's a good design. Why would we rebel against it? Are we smarter than God? Was Jesus dishonored? Jesus who is fully and eternally God, equal with the Father. Was He dishonored by coming to do the will of the Father? Ooh, just burned His britches the whole time. Was the Holy Spirit dishonored by coming to magnify Jesus? What about me, the Holy Spirit says, right? What? What madness? The Holy Spirit is equally and eternally God, Yahweh. Forever. And He came In submission to the order within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Again, this is 1 Corinthians 1, 11, or 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You find that order in the Godhead explicit, but you find it all through the Scriptures. And so, let us not resist the the role. I mean, it's kind of like saying, you know, why can't I eat salmon out of a river in Alaska? I want to be a Kodiak bear." what? You're not a Kodiak bear. And if you go try, the Kodiak bear will eat you. (laughs) Stay in your lane. You're not a bear. You're not a horse. You're not a dog. You're not a cat. And that's how far our culture is going. Where, hey, I'm a dog. I'm a cat. Someone in my family had a family come to their home to buy something on Craigslist. Beware of Craigslist. And it was a A husband and wife and their, mm, I don't know, 14-year-old, 15-year-old son, I believe it was. Not to judge him. (laughs) But the son actually literally came into their home. And the son was the expert in the field of whatever this object was they were buying. So the son was the one looking at it and the one who was declaring whether this was a good buy or not. And so they were having to interact with this son. But the son comes in the door saying, I'm a cat. Meow. And was serious. And they engaged the entire time with the son who was a cat as they were selling something on Craigslist. And mom and dad were cool with it. It was all good. Clearly, they were on board and this is fine. That's what happens. We laugh, but it's a nightmare. That's what happens when we suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Romans 1, the truth of God in creation, and God turns us over to our sin. It doesn't stop with just throwing off gender roles. We throw off even humanity. We want to be something we're not. So praise God, the Lord Jesus has these partners in ministry, these precious women, and they are all in for the glory of God. And they're happy in the lane that God designed for them to magnify God, to aid in whatever way, to unleash the gospel of Jesus Christ that souls might be saved for the honor of their Lord's name. God bless them and they will receive crowns in glory forever. In Luke 13, the Lord Jesus tenderly healed the woman with an 18 year long infirmity. Luke 13 verse 10, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. This is a pathetic sight. This is terrible. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her. He touched her. And immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus is healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days in which men ought to work. Therefore come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. Woo, there's some misogyny. There's some universal hard-heartedness, gender aside. Verse 15, the Lord then answered him and said, hypocrite does not... Each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead it away to water. So ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham, a precious daughter of Abraham. Do you see Jesus' worldview versus their worldview? They care more for their ox than they do for this woman, a precious daughter of Abraham, a daughter of Eve, created in the image of God. So ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham whom Satan has bound. Think of it! For 18 years, be loosed, From this bond on the Sabbath? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. Hear me, the word of God, rightly divided, always puts its adversaries to shame. Don't back up in this wicked culture that would dare judge God, holy, 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 or the holy Bible, the revealed word of God. Don't back up. Don't be ashamed of God's word. The ground they stand on is begging God to swallow them up, to open up and let them drop into hell. The air they're breathing in is crying out against them. And they would dare exhale curses against God, judgments of God. Sin makes us mad, as in, insane. His adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by Him. In John chapter, 11, John chapter 11, we find the account of the Lord Jesus when Lazarus dies and he interacts with Mary and Martha. For the sake of time, we will truncate it a bit. We could preach messages out of it, not just a message. But John chapter 11, verses 1, uh, pretty much to the end of the chapter, we have this certain man who is sick, Lazarus. And Lazarus, Mary, and Martha are friends. They are also co-laborers. He often stayed at their home. They cared for him. They provided food and a place for him to lay his head. Verse 2, it was... That Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. This is not the prostitute of Luke 7. That's a mistake that's often made. Similar act of worship she carried out, but no, not the woman of Luke 7. Verse 3, therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them, unashamedly loved them. Again, that is countercultural for this rabbi to love these women, to be yoked with them, to be comfortable with them in their home, to converse with them, to teach them, to include them in his ministry. This is the beautiful, glorious ministry of the Lord Jesus. Woman valuing, woman elevating, woman dignifying ministry of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17 so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, you, you get that Jesus deliberately waited for him to die. He did not go there. He waited for him to die and came four days later. Verse 18, now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. and Many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Verse 20, now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And again, I challenge you. Where does the Lord Jesus speak more clearly than to these women, the woman at the well. Martha, a clear declaration of who he is and what he's about, is the only Savior of men. Do you believe this? Verse 27, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Jesus is busy evangelizing women and men. Equally, equally. So she calls her sister Mary. Mary comes. They have interaction. Jesus weeps. Verse 38, Jesus again groaning himself came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And you know the common saying, He he had to limit it. He had to say, Lazarus lest every tomb be emptied. Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. This is a terrifying sight, mind you. And his face was wrapped with a cloth and Jesus said to them, loose him. And you can imagine as they're taking the cloth off, they're wondering what they might see. I mean, this is a circumvention of the normal Path of life and death and rot. They just said, Lord, there'll be a stench. Loose him and let him go. And indeed, they don't go into detail there. But verse 45 then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Isn't that astounding? So some believed the obvious truth, this is the Christ. Others were still hard-hearted. And we know, we know from John's gospel uh, later that they went and said, he's going to take away our place and our position, our power with Rome. We'd rather be slaves of Rome. We'd rather be subjects of Rome than subjects of the Christ. That's what our sin nature does. Our sin nature makes us insane, where we'd rather be subjects of wicked and perverse men than subjects of the one true God in His design for man and woman that's a blessing. In John 19, 25 through 27, we see the incarnate Son of God, God in flesh, on the cross, suffering the fullness of the wrath of the Almighty, for an untold number of sinners that He knew intimately, men and women who He came to die for. He came to save. He came to bear their iniquities. He came to take the fullness of the wrath of the Almighty on their behalf. He's on the cross, pierced in flesh and pierced in soul, taking eternal wrath. John 19, verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus His mother and His mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to be his own home. If ever there was a death blow to misogyny, it's here. Jesus, God in flesh, the eternal God man is suffering hell's wrath. And suffering excruciating pain in this flesh. And he pulls himself up on his wounds to fill his lungs. Because that's the only way you can do it when you're crucified. To fill his lungs that he might give his mother a son in his place. And give his beloved apostle who had his head on his chest in the upper room his mother a reverse adoption to comfort the mother that he loved. A mother, mind you, who was a sinner like all women, only saved by grace through faith, being a sinner, a mother whose sins he was suffering for at that very moment. Along with the sins, the sins of an untold, incalculable number. And he had the time and the mind and the heart to love this precious woman, this sinner woman, his mother. Oh, you men, women too, love your mothers. They're all sinners, right? You aren't holy. Jesus was holy. You aren't going to suffer the wrath of the Almighty on her behalf. Jesus was suffering the wrath of the Father on her behalf, and yet he loved her and cared for her with his dying breath. No one, no one, no one has elevated women more than the Lord Jesus Christ. No one. How dare we cower before a world that would assault the Word of God and the God of the Word and Jesus Himself and Christianity with accusations of misogyny and oppression. Oh no. No, rebuke it. Expose it. and Proclaim your Savior. Proclaim your Lord With joy and conviction. Matthew 27, 55. A few remaining moments here. Matthew 27, 55. Godly women were at the cross and at the Lord's tomb. Matthew 27, 55. And many women followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him. Were there looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. The disciples, the men had scattered, the women stayed. God bless them. Now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to them. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there. And the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. The women would not go away. They would not go away. They were there at the cross. They were there at the tomb. And they were there at the resurrection. Godly women were the first human beings to find the tomb empty and to see the risen Lord. I've already mentioned through Pastor MacArthur that in that day, a woman's testimony was of no value In a court of law. And yet the Lord Jesus has women as the first witnesses of his resurrection. That is so countercultural. That is so anti-misogyny. That is so woman elevating. Where are the men? The men are cowering, they're hiding. Where are the women? They're there. By the way, it's also tremendous testimony of the veracity of scripture. And the veracity of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you would never tell it like that unless that's exactly how it happened. Because that doesn't help the case, by the way. To tell a Jewish world 2,000 years ago, give or take, that, hey, Jesus rose again and a bunch of women found out first. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. But God doesn't play by man's misogynist rules, he blows them away. And Jesus Christ is God in flesh. Matthew 28, 1 through 10. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, it was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. And his countenance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid. We've got even angels talking to women, right? Jewish rabbis, no, 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 no. Don't talk to them. Certainly don't read the word of God to them or teach it. Better to burn it than read it to them. We've got angels talking to women. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for He has risen. As He said, come and see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell His disciples. you want to talk about an anti-misogyny reality? Women, go tell the disciples that their Lord has risen like He told them that He would. <laughs> it's a rebuke, too. It's a Deborah-like moment in the New Testament. Yeah, the women are there. Where the disciples should be. And yeah, ladies, please go tell the men. Come on. Come on, men. is it sad? You know, from the garden to the tomb. The woman you gave me. We're off doing the wrong thing. Hiding out. Verse 8. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. They were the first to worship him in his resurrected state. Then Jesus said, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. The women got to see him at the tomb because they were faithful. The men, they had to wait to Galilee. Oh, women can't live without them. They are precious. They are integral to our lives, to our families, to the ministry of the church of Jesus Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, from the fall to a new heavens and new earth in which only righteousness dwells. And time fails me, or we would continue to see the glories of that reality. God bless you, ladies. God bless you. We love you. We thank you for your service to our King. We thank you for your joyous reception of God's design for you. And we stand with you against the lies of the devil that are rained down on you daily everywhere you go. May God strengthen you and encourage you. May you stand resolute against the wiles of the devil. Let's pray.